0: Jesus Christ God in the flesh for
1: you and for the forgiveness of your sins God fills us with his love and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln Nebraska this is
2: proclaiming the one with pastors Clint poppy and Adam Moline
1: welcome once again to proclaiming the one pastor poppy pastor Moline Vicar Steele We come together each week, take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service, also our daily devotions that are available on YouTube each and every day. They're all flowing from these readings and these texts. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. Trinity 17, Vicar, Luke 14, 1 to 11. Take it away. One Sabbath. When Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees,
3: they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull them out? Go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.
1: Okay, we have uh, a lesson in humility here. Jesus uh, tells a parable after we have this... um, Brief little encounter with regard to uh, what is proper and what is necessary, what is improper and what is sinful to do on the Sabbath. Uh, Pastor, it seems like the question regarding the Sabbath day happens quite often in the uh, life and ministry of Jesus. There was a lot of controversy going on with regard to Sabbath day activity. What's the big deal? What's going on here?
0: Well, uh, it's because they believed the Ten Commandments, and you have, uh, of course, one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so the question always is, are we doing the things necessary to fulfill the law and thus save ourselves, or are we not? Uh, and if we're not, then how do we do that? And even the idea, uh, remember the Sabbath day by By keeping it holy, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? What does that look like? Does it mean not doing work? Uh, Does it mean going to church? Does it mean, um, you know, uh, drinking a Mai Tai and sitting on the beach? What does it exactly mean by keeping it holy? And so the debate over these questions that I've kind of just laid out and maybe even a couple more is what's going on uh, in the world then just as it does now.
1: So is this, a, is this a matter of the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, or is it deeper than that?
0: Well, I think that's a part of it. I think there's more to it, too, even the definitions of what these things are and how we uh, fulfill it. Um, the The Jewish mindset at that time is is that I need to do these things uh, because God says so, and that's how I will be uh, saved. That's how God will bless me and watch over me and, and protect me. And so you want to know what you need to do to fulfill what God's will is, and that's the debate here.
1: So— it's, it's uh, more than a matter of what's right and what's wrong. It's really how we look at the law. Is the law something that I have to do to make myself righteous? Or is the law a teaching guide for one who is already righteous? Uh, it seems that the... Uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the uh, the religious practice of the day had some extremely strict Sabbath laws uh, down to the minute detail. How much work you could do before it would actually be classified as work. Right. How many steps that you could take before it would be actually classified as work. So was this was this a veiled attempt to make oneself righteous? Well, um
0: that's the debate that's going on. You have, um, you see, of course, they're eating at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, and so we have a person here who is an expert in the law, uh, and has uh, bought into the idea that there's little tiny minute details of what it takes to fulfill these different laws. And so the question is, you know, the Pharisees added to the law and said, "Here's how you keep those other laws." Um, the question is, is that true? Is that accurate? Is that a correct interpretation or is there something that we're missing here? And Jesus is going to reveal the thing that's actually missing.
1: Isn't there something uh, in the Old Testament about uh, King David and his men, um, you know, going into the uh, greenery that was uh, uh, reserved for the priests only and eating something and technically breaking the law and yet God approved of that because, uh, as we hear in a different text, uh, the Sabbath is made for man, not made man for the Sabbath.
0: Uh, There is that account that takes place in the uh, Old Testament where uh, David and his soldiers ate the grain offerings that were presented uh, at the tabernacle instead of uh, leaving them to be presented. And that was at a time of great need for them. Uh, And so there is that account there, and that, that is part of what plays in. The question is, who is the Sabbath for? Is it for... Us or is it for God? Uh, do we need to do the things? Does God do the things? What's going on in the Sabbath? How do we understand it and interpret it, and how do we then act accordingly?
1: Well, let's dig into this text then, and uh, let God's word answer those questions. So, as you mentioned before, uh, there there is a, a meal, a kind of a gathering, a party going on, the uh, house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees, and it's taking place on a Sabbath. And then we have these words they were watching him carefully um, vicar, why were they watching Jesus carefully what were they what were they looking for?
3: They were looking to see what he was going to do uh, he has a reputation of doing things and healing people on the Sabbath and also being around people at meals on the Sabbath who were not considered to be people of good repute. And so they're looking to see what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say? How can we find something that maybe will prove one way or the other that he's either a good prophet or he's someone that needs to be dealt with?
1: Uh, Pastor, do you think that they were watching him carefully to try to trap him or catch him in his sin?
0: Well, that that could be definitely a part of it. Uh, It doesn't give us the detail. They also might have heard about uh, Jesus and the things that he's done, and so they're watching him to see what he's going to do, how he's going to act, to see if he's one of them or not. And so there's lots of things that are probably weighing into this, all as a result of the notoriety of Christ as a, a miracle worker, as a person, as a preacher who's wandering around and doing things that's getting people's attention.
1: Okay, so the fact that they're watching him carefully can be a good thing or a bad thing. And uh, uh, the text does not tell us what the motives of their hearts were. I know there's a lot of speculation when I've heard preaching on this text uh, with regard to the motivation and all this kind of stuff. And it says, uh, behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Uh, Some people would even speculate that the Pharisees planted this man with dropsy there uh, in order to test him or trick him or something like that. Your, your thoughts or comments on that, Pastor? Well,
0: I mean, it's not impossible, of course, uh, and yet the Scripture doesn't tell us that, and so I'd be a little nervous to imply something like that when the Scripture doesn't tell us directly. That seems like something that uh, St. Luke would have mentioned. Uh, he does in other places that the uh, Pharisees were wanting to test him, and so they did X, Y, and Z. It doesn't say that here. It just says that they are watching him, and so I, I don't know that the motivation of the Pharisees is necessarily the important part of this text. Rather, the miracles and the things that Jesus is doing to teach us are the important thing. That's what Scripture focuses on, and so as we uh, use this text, that's what we ought to focus on as
1: well. There, there's enough clear uh, thought and uh, narration in this text. We don't need to speculate. We, right. That that uh, might take up time in a doctoral dissertation, but it is not necessarily uh, beneficial for the preacher or the hearer. So Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Um, That's a legitimate question, isn't it, Pastor? It is, and it's the kind of question
0: that um – you ask the religious leaders like the Pharisees are, the people who are experts in the law, can I do this or not? Am I keeping the Sabbath or am I not? Um, and, and, of course, let's answer both ways. Is it lawful to do that? Uh, you say the answer is yes, then that has certain implications. If you say no, that has different implications. And so these are important questions, and Jesus asks the Pharisees, and I think what's unique and, and telling here is that the Pharisees are silent.
1: It, uh it really is similar to the kind of questions pastors get all the time. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to be traveling on Sunday. Is that okay? Pastor, I've got to work on Sunday. Is that okay? Pastor, uh, we've got a ball tournament out of town on Sunday. Is that okay? Um, Pastor, um, we're a little nervous about coming to church and we want to watch church on TV or listen to it on the radio. Is that okay? All of these are a type of question regarding is this in accord with the third commandment or is it not and sometimes people are asking um serious questions sometimes they're looking as an excuse uh to sin and uh, pastors get these questions all the time um they remain silent how is this a an absolute failing on the part of the religious leaders that they remain silent
0: yeah um when we're dealing with questions like these, we always have to go back to God's word and say, well, what does God say about this? And and that part is fairly clear throughout the pages of scripture. And so they could have said, you know, if they didn't know the answer off the top of the head, at the very best, they could say, um, you know, I don't know the answer right now, but I can go and research it and get back to you. And hopefully that's what your pastor says if you ask him a question he doesn't know the answer to. But they don't say anything. And that tells you that they're thinking about the politics of the situation. They're thinking about the implications in a temporal sense rather than what does God's word say about this. The answer is very straightforward because we have those examples, like you said, from David and other places where things are done on the Sabbath day. And yet uh, the, they don't answer because they want, um, they want to look good in, in the eyes of the people around them rather than to speak the truth.
1: Yeah, when, when you're afraid to speak the truth of God's word because you're uh, worried what it might do to your reputation, uh, that's a really, really bad sign. Well, Jesus shows us that it is legal to heal on the Sabbath because he does it. And then he, he teaches them very clearly, uh, which of you having a son or even an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull it out. And once again, verse 6, just heartbreaking words. And they could not reply to those things. Um, I, am, I am just taken aback by how many pastors or perceived leaders in the church when push comes to shove are unable or unwilling to give a clear word of God to speak to a particular question or situation that's going on. Pastor, what's the remedy for that?
0: Well, uh first off uh, if you're going to be in the pastoral office or uh, even if you're a father in your household you need to be willing to speak for the truth even when it's unpopular Uh, and then additionally, you have to know what the truth is, which means you need to spend time in God's Word. So, for example, that particular instance, Jesus goes back and quotes Deuteronomy chapter 22, where it says, You shall not see your brother's donkey or ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. So God's Word gives a clear answer, and Jesus quotes that answer, giving us the right way to do it. We need to know the scriptures, and we need to be brave enough to say what they say.
1: We're going to dig into the rest of our text, the parable from Luke 14. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
2: You are listening to KNNALP LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. The one who breaks the darkness with a Praise the one who frees the prisoners. Today.
1: Praise the one who breaks the darkness. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we looked at the first half of our Gospel reading, Luke 14, 1-11, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Uh, he certainly is the one who breaks the darkness. It's a That's a new hymn in LSB and has become a very, very quick favorite hymn. Uh, we sing it a lot here at Good Shepherd because it connects us to so many of our readings on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, connects us to so many of the activities, the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he breaks the darkness most of all on Easter Sunday when he rises from the dead for you, for me, and for the life of the world. In uh, the second half of our gospel reading from Luke 14, Jesus now tells a parable. And, uh, Pastor, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, prepare uh, to answer this question before I ask it. I want to know if this parable is uh, directly related to the healing on the Sabbath, indirectly related to the healing on the Sabbath, or a complete new topic that Jesus is starting now. In, uh, let's see here, verse 7. Now he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them. And then he uh, goes on to talk about the wedding feast. We're going to get more of that uh Position of honor, invitation, wedding feast, kind of stuff. When we get to the uh, Old Testament reading from Proverbs twenty-five, but uh, Pastor, how how is this parable connected to the healing on the Sabbath?
0: Well, um obviously it is at the same wedding feast so there's that direct connection that everyone picks up but I think even more important than that is the reality of what Jesus is teaching behind this uh, we we just talked about uh, Jesus dealing with the Sabbath day and and what's meant by remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy and uh, part of that then as we see in the the statement from Deuteronomy 22 4 is uh, which of you having an ox or a son that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately help him and pull him out. In other words, uh, love for the people around you is an important part of that. And this next parable that Jesus is going to talk about has to do with the same thing, about putting other people ahead of yourself, about service, about mercy and compassion and care for the people around you, not just taking care of your issues and your things, but being willing to help the people around you with their issues and
1: things. I think that is an excellent way of describing the connection, not, not only the fact that it happens at the same time, but the, the teaching of putting others before yourself. And the only way you can do that is to not think of yourself more highly than you should. You need to humble yourself. Um, pastor, the guts of this parable with, with regard to the wedding invitation. We've all had invitations to family gatherings, to weddings, uh, some more formal than others. And uh, I I don't know about you, as a pastor, sometimes you're expected to sit at the head table with Mm -hmm. the family, uh, and sometimes you're not. Right. Uh, Sometimes there's not even a place set for the pastor because it's kind of an afterthought. And uh, I, I, you have you have any experiences to relate with regard to that?
0: No, that's exactly the truth. In uh, North Dakota, where I was before, they had a community hall where the wedding receptions always were. And uh, uh, you had, like you said, sometimes the pastor gets to sit up at the family table and sometimes the pastor doesn't. Uh, and beyond that, then everybody always is guessing and trying to sit between... the, The optimal spot, depending on where's the free beer being poured the most or who gets their their meal first from the caterer. And so you don't want to be the last one in either one of those cases, so you're trying to situate yourself uh, by your friends in the optimal area to get the most benefit from both of
1: those issues. Now, I'm assuming that Jesus is giving more than practical advice on uh, you know, how far away to sit from the keg kind right. of a thing. Uh, so the bottom line here has to do with, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How is that displayed with regard to Jesus' parable about where you sit?
0: Well, um you can just imagine, and maybe the listeners can do this, if Pastor Poppy's done a wedding and he shows up to the rehearse, or the reception and uh, goes and sets himself right next to the groom at the front, uh, everybody would notice that he did that. Everybody would watch and see that. And, and, of course, he would be asked to move because the best man needs to sit there instead. Uh, and so it would be kind of a shameful thing for Pastor Poppy. Somebody in the back might be saying, who does he think he is? He's uh, so self-righteous and uh, self absorbed that he'd sit up there uh, at the best man spot at the same time and I've had this happen not to to brag or I'm sure you have as well when you go in and you don't know where to sit and you just think oh I'm Just going to try and get out of the way here. And then they come and they say, oh, no, we reserved a seat for you. Everybody notices, oh, this person is important to the family in some way. And so that idea is what's going on behind this. And ultimately what it has to do with is service to the people around you. I'm going to um, let the other people have their spots. I'm going to let the other people have the honor and the importance. And then oftentimes
1: when you do that, people also come and take care of you as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something here, Pastor, and I hope you think it's legitimate with regard to this text in Luke 14. I want to connect uh, the parable and the uh, bottom line moral of the story type part of the parable to the first part and the attitude and response and action of the Pharisees with regard to the questions and actions that Jesus does with regard to healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees thought pretty highly of themselves. They had great positions of honor. They threw this big banquet, and uh, it would have been an honor to receive an invitation to go there. They were highly thought of and more than likely thought of themselves quite highly. And when Jesus asked them a biblical, theological question, they didn't answer Jesus then answers for them by doing the healing on the Sabbath. And they didn't respond in any way, shape, or form. How does the fact that they don't answer and they don't respond correspond to this teaching on humility that Jesus leaves us with at the end of the parable? And I'm thinking specifically about the word of God.
0: Well, remember we talked about the reason they didn't answer is because they don't want to be put down. They don't want to be proved wrong. They're worried about the politics and the perception of people, uh, how they see them. And that's then the same thing here that Jesus is dealing with, with the parable. You know, those aren't the things you worry about. We're there to serve the people around us, to show compassion and care to the people in need, and to uh, take care of them. And in the same way that you do that, God also takes care of you. And so we see that connection there
1: between those two groups if the Pharisees and the uh, other teachers of the law had humbled themselves before the word of God they would have been able to answer yeah they they would have been able to answer a clear word from God and they would not have cared about the uh, social or political ramifications now the the next follow-up here um, every Christian when they read the Bible Every pastor, when he's preaching a particular text, leads the people, the hearers, the heart, to the cross and empty tomb. How, how in the world is Luke fourteen one to 11 connected to Good Friday and Easter?
0: Well, uh, Jesus then really embodies this reality of humbling yourself uh, so that others can be exalted in the fact that God, who created the world, took on our human flesh, lived in our sinful world, uh, took our sins upon himself through our baptism, bore them to the cross at Calvary, uh, suffered blood and died, being accused of our sins, and then rose from the dead to proclaim that we now get to have eternal life because he suffered in such a way. He humbles himself to the extreme in that way, uh, and lays aside his glory, right, as we sing in the hymn. Uh, or, you know, we, we, Paul talks about it in many, many different ways in his epistles about um, the one who knew no sin became sin, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what Jesus does. He humbles himself for our care.
1: Uh, well said. And uh, last, last little point on this, uh, what else did Jesus do on the Sabbath? and I'm thinking Holy Week here, what else did Jesus do on the Sabbath to teach us the importance of the Sabbath and to fulfill it for us?
0: Well, um I guess you know the thing that Jesus did on the Sabbath of Holy Week is he slept in the tomb of death, uh, teaching us that's where we'll be eventually. But you know, again, the key is he rose again on Easter morning on Sunday. Uh, he got up so he could go to church that day, just as you ought to do it as well.
1: Uh, there's nothing more humbling than the reality that one day you're going to die, and Jesus, as he slept in the rest his sabbath rest for you and for me and for the life of the world in the tomb on that holy saturday uh that was not the end of the story and uh, i just love uh you know he got up and went to church the next day that's that, right that uh, that is the uh, perfect way to end this particular segment uh this is proclaiming the one we're looking at the readings for the 17th sunday after trinity when we come back we're going to take a look at our old testament reading Proverbs 25, 6-14. to 14. We don't often get a chance to look at the book of Proverbs, so uh, we're looking forward to this. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the seventeenth Sunday after Trinity. Praise the One who makes us one. You'll uh, you'll know why I chose this particular intro and uh, outro music for this 17th Sunday after Trinity, when we get to our next segment on Ephesians 4, 1-6. to 6. In this segment, we're going to look at our Old Testament reading, Proverbs 25, 6-14. to 14. Before I have Vicar read that, please be reminded we gather for worship here at Good Shepherd every Sunday morning, 8 and 1030. We've been open since the 10th of May. We've had, uh, oh golly, close to 70 divine services uh, three funerals, couple of weddings, and uh, everything has gone very, very well. The uh, lay leadership has uh, done a great job of making everything uh, safe, and just encourage you to come and uh, join us for divine service. We gather every Wednesday at six thirty as well. A little smaller crowd might be an easier way to ease back into church, and. Every worship service that we have is broadcast right here, K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7. And uh, you can go to our website, uh, thecross957.org, check out the archives. And uh, we're um, we're still newbies at it, but uh, we've got a YouTube ministry as well, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media is uh, the uh, search engine to find that. Uh, Vicar, Proverbs 25, take it away. Do not put
3: yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, Come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give.
1: Okay, that's a that's a good flavor for how the book of Proverbs works. Um, we have three or maybe four uh, proverbial statements that are made here. This is God's Word. This is God the Holy Spirit uh, working uh, through the writer of Proverbs here to give us godly wisdom. And the uh, first little section here is directly connected to our gospel reading, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 14. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. It's better to be told to come up here than to be put lower. Pastor, putting yourself forward or standing in the place of the great. What is this in reference to? Well, um,
0: it's the idea of thinking that you're a big fish when you're really just in a little pond, maybe, or uh, be a modern metaphor, or uh, speaking when it's not your place to speak, or uh, tooting your own horn, things like that, where you are uh, letting people know how important you are, uh, and yet Uh, There's always someone who's more important than you, right? There's only one most important person in the world, uh, and I don't know who it is, right? But there's only (laughs) one, and all the rest of us fall underneath that. Um, And that's, that's really the whole idea here that Proverbs is teaching. And we have to then take that idea and apply it to who the real most important person is, and that's not anyone on earth, but rather it's Jesus Christ, uh, himself, God in the flesh, uh, who saved us from sin, death, and the devil. That's the most important person, period, end of report.
1: Okay. The, uh, the next little segment here, it says, uh, what your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? And then it's talking about, uh, uh, the kind of legal battles that, uh, People have against one another. Uh, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another's secret, Pastor. There's a lot uh, of uh, discussion and debate with regard to the proper way for a Christian to use the legal system. The proper way for the Christian to to view um, a lawsuit and. God's word in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, teaches us that uh, we we should not take our brother to court. Um, What is is the bottom line here with this middle section from Proverbs 25 with regard to um, the legal system and lawsuits?
0: Well, I guess you could say that it is at the very uh, worst case scenario a last resort, right? Uh, So it's better, uh, and Jesus himself teaches this, and uh, you mentioned uh, Paul as well, it's better to deal things person to person rather than to let a judge get in there and and decide things. And so we want to be able to go and talk to the person that there's a conflict with. We want to say, here's where I feel wronged, and listen to them when they say, here's where I feel wronged, and uh, apologize where necessary, make amends where necessary, and do what's right. Uh, having done that. And that means we need to be willing to listen and have those discussions, and it means that uh, we need to also, when we have those discussions, listen to our sins as they're told to us if, if that's the case. And so, you know, it's only at the last resort then where that's proved impossible or there's still some conflict that uh, a third-party arbitrator or beyond that, then a, a lawsuit would be something that would be even acceptable to think about.
1: How does one Christian taking another Christian to court in a uh, public legal battle or dispute, how does that bring uh, negativity or even shame on the gospel?
0: Well, it says that neither one of those Christians really believes that Jesus forgives sins, right? Or that uh, Jesus has allowed us to be able to deal with one another in the appropriate way. And so it is wrong in, in that sense. You know, there's... There shouldn't be anything with my brother Christian that is so bad that we can't sit down and have a conversation and talk it through and work it out. It might be awkward and uncomfortable for us, yet the truth is, is that Jesus bled and died for that other person just as much as he bled and died for me, that all of our sins in both cases might be completely and totally forgiven.
1: It's, uh, it's almost shocking when we read in God's Word that there are times when it is better for the Christian to suffer. Uh, even when they are wronged rather than to bring shame on the gospel by taking things into the court system
3: yep. and
1: and uh that that is that that could be maybe the height of humility to be able to do that um the, uh, starting in verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. If you're a regular listener to and ALP, you hear these words on a regular basis because we've got a program, a word fitly spoken, that quotes this text. An excellent program. Uh, an outstanding program, one of the best programs that we have here on KNNALP. Uh So... Um, a word fitly spoken implies that there is such as a such a thing pastor as a word that is unfitly spoken what is uh, what is the holy spirit teaching us here
0: well uh the word fitly spoken that he's talking about is the uh, Christian appropriately talking to their fellow Christian about an issue, a sin, uh, a shortcoming, a failure, and doing it with the appropriate tact and uh, appropriate truthfulness to deal with the sin in such a way that they have won their brother again into the faith and, and restored them when they have fallen. And I think perhaps the best example to bring across this idea would be the prophet Nathan Uh, approaching King David uh, about his adultery, and he tells a parable about a man who stole another man's sheep, uh, and David gets all bent out of shape about it. That's wrong. And then Nathan says, oh, by the way, that's not really about a sheep. It's about you stealing another man's wife. And that allows David to repent of his sin, to hear absolution, and to be restored in the Christian faith.
1: I like to look at these uh, two verses here, verses 12 and uh, or 11 and 12 of Proverbs 25, as kind of a transitional verse. They can go with the previous part that talks about um, taking a man to court, or they can go with the next part that talks about a faithful messenger. And uh, I think I do think that those two verses swing both ways. In verse 13, it talks about a faithful messenger. Now you can take that faithful messenger all the way back as well to the one who speaks a, a word of truth, those uh, word fitly spoken with regard to a lawsuit. Um, but if you take those separately, uh, just like a faithful messenger brings a faithful message. Vicar, if I'm a faithful messenger, in the church what is the message that i am to deliver
3: the message is the gospel of jesus christ that jesus became man took on our flesh lived a perfect life fulfilled the law died in our place on calvary's cross and rose from the dead and defeated sin death and the devil and that this work that he did is for you to reconcile you to god the father for all eternity
1: and this message refreshes refreshes uh, you think you know I don't know too many harvesters in Nebraska or North Dakota that uh, would really like a snowstorm in the middle of their corn or soybean harvest but the point here is to talk about the cool air the moisture the refreshment that a faithful messenger brings it refreshes the soul when we have that, that blast of cool air, when we're sweating or you know working very hard. One of my all-time favorite examples or illustrations from Scripture is uh, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not have. Now, in the context of a faithful messenger, a faithful messenger... Um, also implies that there is such a thing as an unfaithful messenger so if you're a messenger and you say boy I've got a great message for you and then you don't deliver you are like clouds and wind without rain what's what's the picture here pastor clouds and wind without rain
0: Well, remember, maybe think about dryland corn, uh, or in the case of the Holy Land, dryland wheat. There's not a lot of irrigation. It's hilly and rocky and uh, difficult to do so. And so you need the rain to water the crop so that you get a good crop. And so you watch the sky and you see the clouds and the wind and you think, oh, we're going to have a storm. We're going to have a good crop and then there's nothing, and the, uh, the tremendous letdown that would bring.
1: Yeah, you get your hopes up, and then they're dashed to the bits. Uh, if you are a messenger in any way, shape, or form, uh, officially in the church uh, or in your home, uh, be a faithful messenger. Uh, speak the word of God. Humble yourself before the word of God, and speak the life-giving, life-changing words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back.
2: The turning into science. you are listening to K N N A L P 95.7 FM Lincoln Nebraska and from this place, from this place, oh
1: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Trinity. In our first two segments, we looked at the Gospel reading for Trinity 17, Luke 14, 1-11, Jesus healing and teaching regarding the Sabbath in the first half of the text, and Jesus teaching us a parable and humility. In uh, the second half of the text, in our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading from Proverbs 25, Proverbs 25, 6 to 14. And now in our epistle reading, uh, we've talked about this often, how many times, uh, in fact, almost all the time, the epistle reading is kind of a practical application of what we've learned in our other readings. The epistle for Trinity 17 is Ephesians 4. 1 to 6, very, very familiar words for people who have been Lutheran for any amount of time. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Vicar?
3: I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all.
1: All right. You'd have to be pretty much half asleep to not realize the word that is emphasized in that uh, epistle reading, Ephesians 4, 1-6, is the word one. In our hymn that we've been pra- playing uh, for bumper music today, uh, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness, the, the very closing line of the last verse is, Praise the One Who Makes Us One. We uh, have a radio program here that you're listening to right now called Proclaiming the One. Uh, and it's a takeoff on the fact that we're we're looking at the readings for the one-year series of readings in LSB, but we are proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin. The letter to the Ephesians is a prison epistle. What does that mean, Pastor?
0: Uh, That means that it is... uh written by St. Paul as he is facing imprisonment uh, at some point during his ministry. Uh, Specifically, the idea is that probably during his last imprisonment, which began when he returned to Jerusalem and was arrested and appealed to Caesar and was transported to Rome, and uh, as last we know him in the book of Acts, he's there in uh, house arrest in Rome awaiting his trial before Caesar.
1: I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you have been called. Vicar, make sure you have Psalm 1 handy while uh, I ask Pastor this question. Uh, What is this? calling to which you have been called. What are we talking about here?
0: Well, we're talking about being a Christian, the calling that you've been called, the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's the idea. You're a Christian because the Holy Spirit has called you to be a Christian through the preaching of the Word.
1: And uh, I know you encourage your kids to learn Latin. uh, The word for call— I call the verb vocal, where we get our uh, mer- uh, English word vocation. Um, can we say that uh, being a baptized child of God is our vocation?
0: Well, um, you, you can in a certain sense. Um, y- you know, if, if we're talking about it in terms of these are the things that I do, uh, yeah, I think you can definitely say
1: that. And from that vocation for the Christian flow out all the other vocations, husband, father, citizen, that that kind of a thing. Vicar, uh, Paul is teaching us here in Ephesians 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Psalm 1.
3: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night.
1: between uh, uh, a godly person, a person with faith, uh, a wicked person, a person without faith. And Paul is speaking to that godly person here, and he is teaching us what this walk looks like. Uh, Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, It seems an awful lot like that list is pretty much the same kind of a list that Paul has at the end of Galatians 5 when he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit.
0: Which would make sense if we're talking about being called the same way uh, You know, we talked about just a minute ago. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. That happens through the preaching of the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit is at operation in both these texts doing the same things.
1: This is what the identity, the calling of the Christian, holy baptism, means uh, for the life of a Christian. These things don't get us to heaven. They don't earn or merit favor with God. This is just what God expects out of one of his children. Um, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Pastor, is this unity of the Spirit is this something that I create or that the church creates? How are we to understand that?
0: Well, um, no. Once again, you see it's the unity that belongs to the Spirit. And so, again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in this particular text.
1: So when we see divisions in the church, when we see divisions in uh, Christianity, uh, these these are the man-made divisions that we cause because of our sin. Unity is ours, and all we can do is either maintain it or break it. Is that a fair way to look at this, Pastor? Um, I
0: would say unity is the Lord's, and he's the one who both brings it about and maintains and keeps it through the preaching of his word. We... Participate in that when we study God's word and when we talk with one another about God's word, you know, um, right after our uh, Old Testament lesson we have in Proverbs where it says iron sharpens iron, I think that's the same idea that's taking place here as well. But that's that's the reality. Reality, it is God's work. To create unity in the church through the preaching of the word, that's the responsibility of the pastor. But it's not the pastor that's making the unity; it is God's work through the pastor instrumentally. Uh, the same way the trumpet doesn't make noise unless somebody plays the trumpet. The pastor preaches God's word, and that brings about unity.
1: We can acknowledge the unity. We can enjoy the unity. We can share the unity, but. It's not our creation. No, It's... uh, Or possession. Or possession. Thank you. Um, And then we get into this laundry list of ones. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why the emphasis here on the word one? Well, um, Again,
0: that's the idea of unity is that the Holy Spirit does unite us together as one holy Christian church united in one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has given us one baptism. And so it is important to understand that we are Christian just as much as the um, Christian is in China, in India, in Russia, and all those places. In Christ, we are one um, one organism, one Idea, one group. We are united as Christians in that way.
1: It's uh, it's amazing that you know with this emphasis on one and unity. So many times in the church, we try to break into factions or small groups or uh, designations by uh, age or demographic or things like that. Uh, one of the things that's happened here at Good Shepherd. Um, perhaps one of the most positive things that has flown out of the whole COVID thing is uh, we don't have Sunday school anymore. We have family Bible study and we have families sitting together around the table, hearing the word of God, studying the word of God. Um, the kids are watching mom and dad read the word of God. The kids are getting a uh, pastor. Um, how is this kind of a picture of that oneness that Paul is describing.
0: Well, I think it's a picture of the oneness because it's acknowledging the reality again that God, through the Holy Spirit, creates and sustains faith, calls, gathers, enlightens, uh, and that he does that the same across the board. It doesn't have to be spiced up for one group of people or uh, edited for another group of people. It doesn't need to be made um, you know, politically uh, appropriate to get one group of people. It doesn't need to be changed based on the uh, ethnic identity of a person or uh, it's not different for men or women. It's the same across the board. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen.
1: That's uh, one of the reasons why we've never done Children's Church here at Good Shepherd either because, uh, you know, we want families to worship together and uh, we want the kids to see mom and dad singing the hymns and praying the liturgy and receiving Christ's blood and blood at the table, blessing kids at the communion rail, that that unity is manifest in so many wonderful ways in the divine service, in corporate worship, and now here at Good Shepherd in Bible study as well. We need to bring this to a close Pastor uh, Vicar, 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 would uh, would you pray for us the collect of the day for the 17th Sunday after Trinity?
3: Let us pray. Lord, we implore you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever,
1: Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele, I am Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, reach paper, drink your coffee, please pray for your pastors, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.